Hey folks, you're listening to an episode of Cultural Lenses, a show about life from the perspective of an Indian man who grew up in the Middle East and is now living in Canada. Cultural Lenses is hosted by Nikhil Chodimela, otherwise known as LR11, or more simply, as LR. The theme song of Cultural Lenses was made by good friends of LR, Revelries. You can find them on Spotify and also on Twitter at Revelries Music. And finally, to keep up with LR and all of what he does, make sure you follow him on Twitter at LRThe11, on Instagram at LR11, and on Twitch, where he occasionally streams at twitch.tv LR11. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Cultural Lenses. I'm your host, Nick Hilchodimela, otherwise known as LR11, or more simply known as LR, as my wonderful friend Glenn Houston would have told you in the intro, but I'm going to tell you anyways, as I do and as I have done for all of the episodes that have ever existed. Uh, welcome back. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Uh, something more personal first is I'm actively working on trying to reduce how often I say um when I'm stringing thoughts together and I'm talking about things. It's, it's, it's a difficult effort. Uh, there was a conversation, I just did it there. See, it, it's, it's, it's habitual. It feels very much part of my, of the way I speak and connect my different trains of thought and strands of different directions and tangents and things like that and figuring out which one would be the best to go on and explain and how I'm going to articulate myself but it was something that came up during one of my classes one of my classes is a course on managerial communication and during that uh, we learn about you know we learn about writing persuasive emails, memos, and arguments, and a couple of other things. The start of the course, the first third of the course, is putting together a job application package. So that includes the interviews, uh, not the interviews, what am I saying? The resume, uh, cover letter, and, well, I mean, you don't put together an interview, but then part of that was preparing for interviews. And I'm very confident in my communication ability and my communication skills. Uh, I'm very good at Bullshitting is somehow both the correct and the incorrect term for making a speaking with confidence and 
filling the gaps and you know adding flair and and making it feel like a full argument or a full sentence is coming out of my mouth depending on the question that has been asked and some of the feedback that i got is while i absolutely have the skills one of the issues was that i said um a lot during that gap where i'm i'm connecting my thoughts and i and i notice i've done this too a lot on this show on the episodes that i've recorded in that moment of silence and in that pause trying to figure out what next what word or what phrase or what idea to jump to next and it's not so much that i'm afraid of existing in that silence and like having to fill it with sound it, it's it's just more habitual it's it's quite literally a processing noise for me that is how you know that i am actively thinking about what to say next and what to how to articulate the next uh phrase or sentence or idea so i want to work on that because i believe it'd be a better audio experience but also the common perception is i'm doing this on on multiple levels you know part of it is on external perceptions and part of it is just on internal you know me like personal um how i want to conduct myself and how i want to speak in roles like this one of the things that i want to that i'm you know slowly going to strive to do is get into a line of consultation around diversity, inclusion and equity. Um honestly quite literally in any industry but I'd love to work uh, with uh video games and uh in entertainment of sorts because those have the most impact on uh, those have the most socio-cultural impact. Um impact points, I guess that's not the correct way to phrase that. but it's this whole idea of representation mattering and being important and so that would also tie to my presentation and communication skills and part of that that I want to polish up is removing as many fillers and avoiding you know when I go on my when I'm bullshitting something and it's trying to explain something with a little bit more flair and making it full and well-rounded but also you know trying to avoid uh redundant words in a professional uh, environment So anyway, is that something I'm working on? So I apologize if things feel a little bit stiff uh while I get used to this. It is a conscious uh it's going to be a conscious effort for a while until it becomes natural and it becomes habitual and becomes just a part of how I communicate and talk. So that's that. Um I don't know if you heard that, but I but I tapped the um I tapped my mic arm, so I apologize if that came through. So that's that. The other personal thing is Fanhouse. I'm I'm starting to do something that I didn't think I'd ever do or get to the point where I'm starting to like structure things on pen and paper and using different applications, be it my calendar or whatever and like scheduling things and I've scheduled time for creativity. A good friend she snaps jessica you can find her at mind of snaps on most platforms um she snaps on twitch uh mind of snaps on twitter and instagram i believe awesome human being great mother great person great friend 
just overall awesome. Something, you know, being in part of that, being a part of that community, something that came up for discussion at several different points actually was scheduling time for creativity. Uh, and while that might not work for other people, there are a lot of people that schedules don't work for, and there are a lot of people that schedules work for. I like a schedule, not in terms of it being necessarily restricting or rigorous. But I think a schedule puts you in that mind frame and in that setting of this is assigned time for something specific. And a schedule allows me to see all these different chunks that I have assigned for specific things during the day. And knowing that if something weren't, wasn't going to happen for whatever reason, you know, let's say if I have gym time scheduled and I just couldn't do it that day because I had to stay extra long at work or I had... Uh, a work meeting uh, or a school assignment that took up that time and needed me to take time away from it, I can kind of reassign it to that time. You know, it allows for flexibility because you have an idea of what your day is going to be. Uh, a structure and a routine, actually, I found, uh, because I've had to keep one now for the last couple of months, uh, now seven, six months, because of how uh, how much time I have to figure out I can divide and put into school and work. It's allowed me a surprising amount of flexibility to flexibility to move things around because I kind of know what each day is structured like. If I'm going to a day with no idea what the day is structured like, uh, where, you know, if I don't have an idea of when I need to be somewhere, when something or, you know, if something needs my attention for whatever reason, it becomes difficult to be, to do things, honestly. Putting like days off or days of rest not included in this, if I kind of wake up at 10 and then I don't really have a idea for what I have to do that day, I don't have any deadlines, there's no need for me to go to work, it feels like my day ends up getting wasted. But if that day kind of continues as quote-unquote normal even though it's you know let's say it's a public holiday like we've got easter monday coming up on mondays i only have classes i don't have work but i know that i'm not going to have classes because easter monday is a public holiday but i'm able to kind of see that oh i've got you know these six hours scheduled for class i'm going to wake up maybe at 10 instead of my normal you know six or seven or whatever and I will be able to use some of this dedicated time that was, or I'm already in the mindset of like doing schoolwork or other things that I would quote as, uh, that I would describe as productive. Uh, I, I already have these times blocked out, so to speak, so I can flex that into being a more productive time. Um, but productivity, flexibility, schedules, they all look like, different things for different people and they all work differently for different people so it just takes some experimentation to figure out what really works for you i'm experimenting with a software i haven't used it too much just yet but i'm experimenting with a software called notion i learned about it through um through some research that i was doing for some other software solutions for work and uh, it seems like a pretty interesting tool i will maybe get back to you on that when i know more now what I wanted to talk about today, outside of that, uh, oh, right, no, sorry, I apologize. Before I get on to, like, what the topic of today's show is, Fan House. So I'm going to start 
doing more on fan house and i'm going to ease myself into it and it's going to be just things like using it to announce when i have a new episode out because as of right now i don't really have a lot of people on fan house which is fine you know i'm branching out trying different things if i ever get to the point where i have people coming to my fan house accessing these behind the scenes exclusives i don't want it to seem like it's only that i want to like do more with it i'm going to use it as something so i'm going to start treating it like you would treat twitter given twitter's current condition and i don't do a lot of tweeting anyways i don't put out a lot of my ideas except in this format right here i've been doing a little bit more with instagram and re exploring a simpler photo video creative side of myself not really taking it too seriously i don't even put hashtags like i'm not trying to like grow an audience necessarily i'm just trying to share these little aspects of my life i suppose and fan house was going to be that other way of monetizing what i do but not necessarily in a way of making money i've explained my rationale or my idea behind wanting to do fan house and that's purely to give you some some of the extra you know if i do guest episodes there's uh, there's actually a couple of uh, behind the scenes exclusives up there on fan house right now but if i do guest episodes you'd get an idea of like uh, of, of some of the conversations that we have uh before and after we record or maybe some bloopers maybe some outtakes uh there were going to be some fan house exclusive episodes and mostly ideas and topics that are difficult and or super personal and i just don't want the general public to have access to because even if i'm doing this even if i'm putting myself out there um pretty much laying it all out on the table uh you you're still able to control your space to an extent and your privacy to an extent and there's some things where i just don't want everybody to know so that was the idea behind fan house it's never going to ever block the main show ever so welcome thank you for listening if you stayed this long this is the personal catch up i don't know how i segment or modularize my episodes anymore i just kind of get on here and talk there's really i've had a few i've had a script for a few episodes but there's really not a script here not today today i i wanted to do an episode last week but then i got busy with midterms and then today i was thinking of what what do i talk about what what is valuable to me right now or what is something that i'm experiencing and something that i am experiencing is grief specifically parasocial grief now i've done an episode on parasocial relationships and in essence a parasocial relationship is let's take you dear listener as if i don't know you cuz i i have a lot of friends who listen to my my show a lot of people i went to school with a lot of people who i've met through my online communities i have a lot of you that listen to my show so a lot of you do know me to a large extent but if you're somebody who just found my show randomly and you've been listening now since the beginning and now you have all of these details of my life you know roughly how old i am my immigration struggles the kind of things that i like the kind of things that i don't like what i stand for you would tend to feel like you have a relationship with me despite me not knowing you and that's the essence of a parasocial relationship and you see this more now with online celebrities 
celebrities is a strong word, but online presence. And people have been doing this for a very long time. You know, you take the Beatles, for instance, or you take, I don't know, Rihanna, Drake, Shah Rukh Khan. All these people that have done interviews and done movies, they've done music, they've done fashion, they've done these in, in incredible things, made so much of money, but, you know, very famous in pop culture. And you know all these details about them. You know what their favorite type of ice cream is. You know their shoe size. You know how many kids they have. You know their mother's name. And you genuinely feel like you could be their friend if you ever had that chance to interact. That's kind of like, that's the encapsulation uh, of, of a parasocial relationship. Now, parasocial grief. This is this is what I'm calling it. I don't necessarily know if this is an actual phenomenon. You can go back. I will link the parasocial relationships episode uh, in the description. But parasocial grief, I don't... And, and I did like research for that episode. For this, there's no research here. This is just me giving you my perspective on something that I've been experiencing. Now, parasocial grief is when you go through that grief for somebody who's famous in whatever capacity you know they're famous in a capacity that's meaningful to you and you form this parasocial bond to them and then you know they pass one way or the other be it through natural causes whether they took their own life whatever it is you feel that grief as if you were their friend as if you were a um, family member and this is not inherently wrong i'm not trying to pick on you I, I just want to make sure that i'm making very clear i'm separating the actual grief and difficulties and challenges that a friend or family of this celebrity or um, famous person is different from what the fans would feel so i want to i want to i want to break it down or, or talk about it from that perspective i, I want to be clear on that distinction the there there have been two people that have recently kind of sparked some of this uh, grief within me. Um, Chester Bennington, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, who passed away um, five years ago now. We're coming up on six years. And Taylor Hawkins, who uh, the drummer of the Foo Fighters, who passed last year in uh, 2022 i'm blanking on the exact uh, month and or date but starting with chester it's it's pretty straightforward lincoln park and chester's voice are two sides of the same and almost different coins all of the band members are fantastic uh, I, I do not want to take anything away from them. The music and the styles that they've experimented with from hybrid theory to um, their their most recent album, which I'm also forgetting the name of, uh, the one with Heavy on it, the one that was more pop-punky. All, all the band members and their experimentations and the bond that they have, they all put in so much awesome work. But what made Linkin Park Linkin Park was purely, it was Chester's voice. Chester's voice was the voice of several generations. The, you know, after the fact of his passing, when you go back and you listen to his music, it it hits hard. You know, there, there wasn't, 
wasn't pulling he wasn't hiding anything in his music he wasn't pulling punches he was very out there and very raw about the kinds of things that he was struggling and dealing with now i'm not assigning any blame or saying this is the fault of anybody for not catching this people with mental health issues are sometimes very good at hiding them and making it seem like everything's okay and things are going to be fine and so why this came up recently was because meteora lincoln park's second album is getting a re-release for its 20th anniversary and with that re-release a new song came out called lost song that was recorded during the meteora days but never released because they thought it was too close to numb and the i i don't i struggle to articulate it uh, but if you were a fan of lincoln park i feel like you understand what i'm struggling to get out Lincoln Park for me, uh, and I did an episode in memoriam of Chester Bennington, which I will also link, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I think I articulated a lot better then, and that I think I did that on two years ago now, uh, around the time of you know uh, his birthday or when he passed. I can't remember. But to me, Lincoln Park was my first exposure to heavy music of any kind and i'm you know i mostly listen to metal now metalcore melodic uh, you know trash metal um, post melodic hardcore whatever i metal i I listen to metal i'm a metalhead and lincoln park was my first exposure and like dipping my toes into that a friend uh, a childhood friend uh, showed them to me and getting the, the the You know, music is how many of us processed a lot of the feelings we had growing up. Uh, Music is what we use to escape from all of the difficult things. Music is how we related to one another. I had the privilege of seeing them in concert in 2011, I believe, when they went on tour for the Thousand Sons album. But getting a chance to hear Chester's voice in something new to everybody and have this global internet population kind of understand and melt at the same time in in this joy and sadness at getting the chance to hear for, for a lot of us Chester was a hero for vocalists uh, he's made such an impact on uh, people's approach to singing has been such a big influence and for a lot of us it was it was the fact that Lincoln Park made music that let them escape whatever difficulties they were facing and so this shared experience that we got that made us all kind of forget for a second of all of the other not so great things happening in life right now is beautiful but also so sad and I, I'm I'm very lucky that I had a chance to see them live and I'm very lucky that I'm around to listen to new music five and a half years later after the fact. And then that got me to thinking about Taylor Hawkins, who was the drummer of the Foo Fighters, and the Foo Fighters 
If I've never mentioned it before, the Foo Fighters are my absolute favorite band. I love them to bits. Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, Chris Shiflett, Rami Jeffrey, uh, Pat Smear. All of them are fantastic musicians and they've been doing such an awesome, spectacular job for so long. The first album, I believe, came out in 94 after uh, the passing of Kurt Cobain and... Dave Grohl was lost for a while, and he was a drummer, and he turned frontman, and they put out the first album, and then Taylor Hawkins entered his life with the second album, The Colors and the Shapes, in 97, and they've been fucking massive since, and I love them so much, the energy that they all have, the music to put out, uh, even the bad stuff that they put out, I, I've enjoyed it all, and watching Taylor Hawkins play, that man was crazy, I've had the chance of seeing them, you know, I've had the pleasure of seeing them live twice, that man was a fantastic drummer. I don't know much about drumming. I've learned how to play the drums a very small amount. I'm not good by any means, but that man was an in incredible drummer. And and learning of the passing of the drummer, uh, Taylor Hawkins, was tough. Uh, because then I think about... Uh, how, how you know, Dave Grohl's doing and how the rest of the band's doing, how his family's doing. There was a Foo Fighters tribute concert and it was such a delight watching uh, Taylor's son Shane perform with the Foo Fighters on stage. Uh, they played My Hero and Homie absolutely destroyed it on the kit. He, he did such a bang-up performance. I believe he won um, some sort of award for that performance. There is a uh, organization or a company or a media company that uh, I guess does annual drummer awards or something like that. And and all that to say, you know, I've given you some context on these these sources of grief. And the Foo Fighters were a massive influence on me musically, more so than Linkin Park were, because when I was learning how to play the guitar. It was, I was starting with rock before I got into metal as deep as I am. Rock was, you know, I went from, I went from pop groups and pop singers to rap to rock uh, to new metal and then metal. You know, the Foo Fighters were my inspiration for so much. The way they approached music, the way they did things, the concerts they put on, the documentaries that I've seen, the books that I've read that you know Dave Grohl's put out and he, his mother's put out. Like I've. I'm very much a big fan, so I'm, you know, quite literally the definition of what a parasocial person would be, um, to the extent of where I, I'm not necessarily inclined to believe that we're friends, but I know about the band. I, I love the band. And so the grief comes from having these foundational things to who I am as a person you know they're so strongly related to my identity they change uh for the better or for the or, or for the worse they've they've still changed and in this case it's they've changed because somebody has passed somebody's lost their life and these things cannot fundamentally be the same moving forward and because they can't be the same and my foundation's based on them my i you know by that logic i can't be the same moving forward and and grief is not just about when people die. Grief is about when relationships end, when friendships end, when 
you move through different phases of your life and you mourn what who or what you used to be grief takes all sorts of shapes and forms and so i've been thinking about this is why i i wanted to, i made the distinction before i we started talking about this that i'm i i want to make sure that i'm talking about the the uh, the grief that you know fans uh, would deal with. I'm a fan and what I'm dealing with. This is no way in any kind of measure or comparison to the grief that um, the loved ones of the actual people who have died are feeling and the kinds of challenges they're going through. So the kind of grief I'm going through is wondering how how are the Foo Fighters going to continue. Uh, with, with Chester Bennington, it is the privilege and this bittersweet moment of getting to hear his voice again. But going back to the Foo Fighters is how is Dave Grohl doing? How is he going to continue? How how is he going to continue? You know, those are some of my thoughts. That man lost two of his best friends that he performed with and played with for a significant amount of time. People that have had such a profound impact on his life. Families, they've become a family. You know, we're not just talking about just band members spending a good chunk of the year together and then going off to their families. From what I've seen and from what I, I know, the, the the families of the band members themselves would get together like they're they've become like this one big integrated family so how's the whole family dealing with it how 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 do i listen to the music from these two bands and not get just sad all the time how do i learn to learn to learn to listen to it and just feel joy and and I, I, for the most part, I do. I, I rarely ever get sad, but when I do get sad, uh, I'm just on, in general, when I'm having like a tough day or if I'm feeling down, I'll go and listen to like Linkin Park. I'll put on one of the older, I'll put on Hybrid Theory, uh, one of their most iconic uh, albums. You know, I'll put on the first Foo Fighters album. Uh, while it is not Taylor Hawkins playing, it is a comfort album. There, there's no resolution here. I don't have any advice for you. I just wanted to share with you how I'm feeling. It's... I cannot... I, I, I cannot... explain how foundational these two bands were to me exploring any shred of creativity uh, with the Foo Fighters the, the, the Foo Fighters really what I, I, I when I saw their Grammy performance in 2008 of The Pretender winning they won a Grammy I believe for that song which came out the album Echoes, Silence, Patience and Grace there was something that clicked and it changed my perception of what music can be and there was so much intensity and so much drive and energy. And then I started looking into the Foo Fighters and then I just found it res that same kind of intensity resonating all over. And with Chester, uh, Linkin Park being my first exposure to any kind of like rock or heavy music, I found it, eventually I found it very relatable. At the moment I was intrigued, I was so smitten and then I found it exceedingly relatable. But yeah, that's that's that. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day. 
uh, go ahead and check out my Instagram, my Twitter. Uh, you can find me under LR11. Twitter is LR the 11th, but if you just Google, not Google, but if you put in the Twitter search bar LR11, you'll find me. Fan House at LR11. There are a couple of behind-the-scenes exclusives there. I'm going to start posting a little bit more um, as time goes on, but hopefully I'm able to bring some value there that makes sense for you to pay that and any of the money. Honestly, the money fucking is going to support me in some shape or form. So, like, feel free to give me money. Feel free to not give me money. Either way, I'm very glad that you're here listening to this and I'm able to share me with you. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to stay safe, wash your hands, and tell a loved one you love them. I'll catch you all later.